You know what I did last weekend? I don't know. No, I don't know what you I did. I went through the past six years of comments on Haunting Season and tried to reply to every single one of them. What? I think I got like 85%, maybe 90 So many people were sending well wishes and, and hoping I wasn't dead and people trying to hunt me down on social media and reporting back to other people who were commenting. And the number one request I saw over and over and over was to please... Please, and I've gotten this request recently too. Please, dear Lord, please finish the Asylum story. The Asylum story was supposed to be part of my like big comeback. So after six months away, every day missing haunting season, I released this mini documentary about the Palmer House Hotel. And then I posted a short film and I started this Asylum series. The goal was to start posting regularly again, if nothing else, once a month. And it just wasn't sustainable because I was still on my own. So the reboot failed, um, which pissed more people off. But everyone at Haunting Season is so nice. So it didn't really piss them off too bad because I've been replying <laughs> to comments and people are like, oh, cool, man. Glad you're okay. <laughs> it's really always felt like a community to me, Haunting Season. Like people are just really positive and they give great feedback. And even when people write negative things, I reply back in a positive way. And But yeah, I thought it was maybe time to revisit exactly where the channel left off six years ago and bring some closure to the people who've been demanding it for years. Tell me, because I'm, what do we got here? So I've got a three-part Asylum series that ends with a cliffhanger that I never finished. I haven't really looked at it yet, but I found a complete part four in my documents backed up from six years ago. Uh, and I'm just going to read it. Today? We're just going to find out. Right We're going to find right out now? together. I have zero Whoa. recollection, but let's revisit the first three first. Okay. Yeah, and before we do that, before we roll the opening credits, I just want to once and for all tell everyone that one of the main reasons the show was able to come back was because of comments like these. The, the continued support of subscribers throughout the years was a really solid thing that I could point to when pitching the reboot to my partners. They saw the appreciation, the positivity of the Haunting Season community, and saw the standing 16,000 subscriber base and knew that we could grow this thing quickly. And, and look at where we are now, five months in, and we're up to around 24,000 subscribers. So thank you all for being amazing. And if you haven't subscribed, but like what you see, please do. It's free and it really helps out the show. All right, enough blabbing. Let's watch part one. been? I'm not quite sure how to answer that. Where have I been? Well, um, I guess it all started about six months ago when I got an invitation to investigate a dilapidated mental institution in Minnesota. It was an offer I couldn't dream of refusing. I, with my fellow investigators, would be locked in for one whole weekend with all of our equipment. And in the end, we would be the ones to state whether or not the facility was haunted. I'd spent most of this past year begging places like this to let us in for just one night. And the responses were always the same. It's just not safe. Oh, we don't want to antagonize the spirits. 
Or my personal favorite. Oh, sure. We charge $1,200 for an overnight investigation. Needless to say, I have been frustrated. But I knew good things came to those who wait, so I continued to search day in and day out for an opportunity to arise. You see, I'm making a film, a documentary about the residue of human souls and how they remain on this earth like milk in a glass, like a chalky residue drifting around. You can tell milk was once in there, but most times you can't tell what kind of milk, not without further investigating. It's a theory, not a great analogy, but you get the point. And the film is a work in progress. The idea will evolve and fill itself out over time. I'm gonna call it the glass was half full. Or something like that. I'm diverting. Um, where was I? Right, so I'm part of a group of investigators. The director, actually. I mostly document, but I've been getting into the actual investigating more and more as my group gets better at filming each other. There's Jessie, our lead investigator. She's kind of sassy and can keep up with the quickest of the quick. She's a good schmoozer and can talk her way in or out of just about anything. And I think the reason she's so good at this stuff is that she has psychic abilities. She's never said it out loud, but her intuition is something to marvel at, for sure. And then there's the Balson brothers, Tim and Raj. They're both skeptics. Raj probably more than Tim. Raj is fearless and will be the first to head into a terrifying situation, but he's also the first to jump at a bump in the night. I've seen him run from a room plenty of times. <laughs> and Tim is our infrared technician. He comes from a scientific approach to all things spooky, and when Jessica and I are convinced that there are voices in the dark, he can usually point to a source pretty quickly. So the four of us get invited to stay in this building, which has been abandoned since the late 70s. A new owner acquired the property a few years ago with the idea of turning it into a low-income artist housing unit, with large communal kitchens and bathrooms, uh, small bedrooms, but large work and storage places for each resident. Which makes it even more interesting, all of us being artists in one way or another. When we arrived, you could tell why the project was having difficulty getting off the ground. The building was huge. Three floors of yellowish-white cement. The grounds, which were obviously well-maintained in the past, were overgrown with a young birchwood forest. Tiny white and black saplings, between six and eight feet tall, pushing through the snow just inches from one another. <laughs> between the trees and the crunchy knee-deep snow, it was as if the building was camouflaged to the naked eye. The light from the sun was magnified from all of this white to a blinding level, making exterior photos all but impossible to achieve. Jesse, in what I can only describe as a moment of true clairvoyance, said, Oh, this whole little forest is going to be a wall one day, and no one will ever find this place again. It'll finally be protected. This seems like a strange thing to say, but we all brushed it off as creativity and continued to the front door. The owner had not shown up that day. In a voicemail, he said, I'm sorry, but I won't set foot back on that property until I know for sure what I'm dealing with. Can't get a single contractor to enter the building. 
Too spooked. They say there's a lot of bad mumbo jumbo. The key's in the box hanging from the doorknob. The code is 1887. It's easy to remember because it's the year the building was built. It's on the cornerstone in case you forget. Uh, good luck. I punched in the code and pressed the button to open the key box. And I must have applied a little too much pressure because it slingshotted past my feet and into the snow, taking the key with it. Ah, damn it. Oh, good one there, Josh. Raj smirked. Don't worry, take your time. We're used to the cold weather growing up in Minnesota. You just shut up and help me look. I barked back, half friendly. Or you're sleeping on the front porch tonight. Oh, we won't be sleeping in there. Not a chance, Tim announced. <laughs> we all laughed nervously, knowing full well that he was right. Even from the outside, we could tell that this building was a little beyond our comfort level. Yes! I had found the key. The lock was sticky and took some jostling to get open. Jesse began to shiver, and Tim took out his photo camera. Finally, the door was open. Tim snapped photos as we made our way into the lobby. The floors were old, black and white tile, filthy from years of neglect. And despite the cold, moss grew like little fluffy beds over large patches of the floor. To the left was a desk for a secretary, big carved oak with angels holding up the top. And beside it, a broken window where a tree had bent and curved through, growing up almost all the way to the cracking blue ceiling. 20 feet above our heads. An indoor sky, complemented by white, fluffy acrylic clouds. Curved at the edges and lined with immensely detailed molding, the ceiling stood almost as a mockery of the delusional patients being brought in. Oh no, honey. You're gonna love it here. Look, it's just like being outside. When in reality, they'd just be caged up like chickens, with barely enough room to turn around. Behind the desk were offices and a one-way mirror looking into the lobby. No doubt this is where the warden, or head nurse, had an office to observe new patients coming in. In front of us were two massive staircases, one on the right, one on the left. Each one had a landing about halfway up that broke off into hallways, probably the first floor of rooms, and then curved to join at the top where they led straight away from us into a third floor. Between the staircases were antique green couches with fancy carvings across the back and the arms. One of them had a rotted foot and sat angled towards the ground. And to the right were the elevators with all the doors rusted shut. Next to them, a door to the basement, and then offices running back to the end of the wing. We all decided it would be best to lug everything up two flights to the center hallway, where we found the first door on the right to be a suite, the office of the head nurse. After an hour of organizing, it was time to explore and set up our four wireless security cameras that would record continuously throughout the night. Each of us got to place one. The rule was you had an hour to explore on your own and you had to place the camera in the spot where you felt the most heebie-jeebies. So we split up, each with a walkie-talkie and a camera. Jesse took the top floor, Tim took the right wing, Raj took the left, and I 
I headed towards the basement. Um, wow. Okay, so lots, uh, one, dig the necklaces, dig the shirt. It's got that nice little, uh, <laughs> as always, um, <laughs> this was recorded on, I saw on the date. That's, this was Halloween, October 31st of uh, yeah. 2014. And then the familiarity with this, I think, I, I mean, I don't really quite remember it was six years ago, but I think there are a lot of parallels between this and my very, very first video hilltop. Because it's, you know, going into an abandoned building. It's an experience that happened while exploring. So maybe that comfort is like, oh, I'm back in my, like, original storytelling seat. This is 2014. And some of those videos that we saw earlier are from, like, 2013. But just to see the progression and also see, like, it just seems a little bit you're at more at ease. Which is great because I know I've, at, at this point, changed locations multiple times. I started out shooting in a small uh, studio that I built at work and then afterwards uh, built a home studio and was doing it there. And then at this point, I had, um, my wife had left me at the time and was going through a divorce. And so I had n this new apartment that was uh, not very nice and I built the studio there, you know? So it's, um, it's interesting to see me get more comfortable even though, oh, and there was that one episode we watched uh, last month or the month before the zombie one where I was like recording at my grandmother's house in the kitchen. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love to hear the, the behind the scenes kind of, you know, of what was actually going on in your life and where this like stuff is. Cause it's all just seems like it's in some sort of studio or in some sort of warehouse or some sort of like, pro like production companies behind it. But actually it, it's uh, just in the kitchen. It's me with a camera. I built a teleprompter out of a eight by 10 frame, uh, like picture frame. Um, and I built a little platform on the bottom for my iPad that would run automatically and I would just have to get the timing right. And then I had a little shotgun mic and a black curtain. And you can actually see at the beginning of this video, there's a hole in the black curtain. Um, there's like a little white dot and it's not a dead pixel. You can see my head covers it up at times. And I'm sure that that just drove me nuts when I was editing this. So this is completely DIY, as they say do-it-yourself production oh absolutely always has been and and even though we've got a large backing now you know we've got uh an editor we've got a couple of producers um i sometimes you know run my writing past a couple of people to get some notes still the production of it is just very diy you're in front of a backdrop i have built my home into a studio <laughs> it just is what it is yeah, but I could go on and on and on. We actually have three parts of this to watch um, and then a fourth to read. So I want to keep things moving. Let's do part two. The door to the basement opened silently, which was somehow worse than it making noise. From the lobby floor, I could hear Tim and Raj starting off on their journey on the second floor. But as soon as I stepped into the stairwell, all of the sounds were gone. Holy shit! The door must have been weighted, because it slammed behind me. Hard, causing plaster and dust to fall from the stairs above me. I listened as the sound dissipated, now sufficiently scared in the pitch black hallway. Hey, buddy. That you? My walkie-talkie scared me again. Not a great start. I removed it from my belt and raised it to my lips, speaking softly. Yeah, that was me. Weighted door. 
Yeah, that's what I figured. Good luck down there, buddy. I couldn't move. It was like the whole place had been woken up. Suddenly there was dripping and creaking and echoes throughout the entire stairwell. But I had to move on. So I clicked on my headlamp and descended the staircase. At the bottom was a door, thick metal with a diamond glass window hatched with shatterproof glass. I peeked through, but the reflection of my headlamp kept me from seeing anything. I pushed open the door, silent again. If there was anyone in here with us, it would be impossible to hear them sneaking through the wings of the ward. You can't think like this, I thought. Not if you're going to be down here alone for the next hour. This time I slowly closed the door behind me, avoiding another unnecessary heart attack. The hall in front of me was impossibly long. Ten doors with diamond-shaped windows on either side. And the hall was wide, like a hospital. And along the walls, between the uniform doors were stretchers and wheelchairs and IV stands, all draped with terrible, filthy sheets. You could tell they used to be white, but now they were stained with the refuse of the building. I began to walk down the hall. Past the doors was an opening. If I could get there, I would be okay. I knew it. This place was in the middle of nowhere, and the basement was so dark and dirty, I knew deep down inside. A homeless person would never come down here. They would sleep near the windows, where there was light. Not here. Oh, this basement will be void of human life, I thought. For the life of me, I could not shake the feeling that something was following me. Whipping around with my light, I expected to see someone standing there. I swear I heard a shuffle that wasn't mine. Or was it an echo? I hate this place. I reached down to my pocket where I always keep my... No. My knife, I must have... Yes. I left it on the table up in the head nurse's office. I used it to open a drawer that was stuck closed and I left it on the desk. Damn it. My knife was my security blanket in a situation like this. As I continued to push past the ominous doors with the jet black windows reflecting the light on my head, I tried to think about all of the investigations that I had been on and how every time I get really scared in the beginning but by the end I'm having a blast being in the dark. This is going to be fun. This is a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and one I've wanted 
for so long, and I will be damned if I mess it up for myself by being too scared to go into the basement. Finally, I reached the opening, which, to my surprise, was the most frightening spot in the entire basement. Because now, in three new directions, were hallways of doors that didn't seem to end. I know that you and I love horror. Yeah. And I know that because as soon as stuff starts getting scary on the screen, I kind of peek over and we're both just like beaming. We're just like, the <laughs> smile just like grows. Well, I don't know if it was like the one or two minute mark, but when there was the, the door slamming and the sound effect and with these, uh, I, I almost, I almost, I, I jumped. I was like, shit. <laughs> It was so dark and it was so quiet and there was no music. It was just ambience. Jessica, I know you've mentioned her name before. And Minnesota has been something uh, that you've you've gone to. I think there was a haunted house or something like that that was in Minnesota. And Jessica is like an investigator. So is this a true? Is this based? Like, did this really happen? Is this true or what's the deal? So parts of this are definitely true or based on truth. So I, I do have a ghost hunting group that I went around with for um, something like eight investigations. I met Jessica through Twitter and she's an author and it, it was my first day on Twitter and her first day on Twitter and we didn't realize really what we were doing and somehow connected and she was like, why don't you come to Minnesota and come on a ghost hunting trip? And I was like, yeah, okay. Because that's who I was back then. I was just a like, sure, I'll drop everything and do whatever anybody wants. So I flew out there. I've got cousins out there. And it turned out I just could not stop coming back. I was going like every three months I was going for a week to go on an investigation and film some interviews. And I was building this documentary that I was calling Afterlife about the afterlife. Um, And it's not finished, but I have all the footage. The Palmer House Hotel mini documentary that I put up on here is footage from that documentary that I was building and I hope to finish someday. So the characters are based on true characters. The situation is kind of like a dream situation. I would love to investigate an insane asylum. And I do, I like within arm's reach, I have two knives. So that part's true too. Like always have a knife on you. Why? Okay, here's my question is like, why would you do this? If this were to come to, uh, if, if, if this becomes a reality, why separate right off the bat and be like, we've never been in this place before. You go right, you go left, you go straight and have no idea what the layout is. Wouldn't you want to first be like, let's go as a team together and say like, okay, this looks like this. This looks like this. This looks like this. Now let's break. Yeah, realistically, what we would normally do and what we did do in those situations is you show up to the house around three in the afternoon before the sun starts to set and you take a tour with the groundskeeper or like whoever lives there or whatever. And they show you all the hot spots. They show you everything. We like make a plan. This is complete fiction that we would gotcha. split off right this, off the bat in yeah, an abandoned right, building right. that we haven't checked for homeless people. Perfect. Um, <laughs> so this is this is that the classic formula of like when you watch a horror flick and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> well, and there's some processing happening too. Like this character is like, you know, basically he's got the machismo of don't be a wuss. Right. Right. He's like, you wanted this embrace it which is a dangerous place to be if you have a bad feeling and you're on a ghost hunt trust that feeling 
get some support, walk out of the room, uh, you know, speak out loud to the room. I'm, I'm here. I'm calm. I'm gentle. <laughs> yeah. And, and the character seems like it, it's, it's comfortable being there because it's been there before. Like he's been in this position before where it's like, Oh, this always happens on these kind of things. I get scared, but then I eventually, so embrace it, love it. Well, and that, yeah, that part's true too, because no matter how many times I went on these ghost hunts, I was freaked out the entire time. And part of that is because I want to believe, right? I want that experience. I want to open myself up to that experience. And I know based on the places that we chose, like the one of the main reasons we didn't go to an asylum like this is because we went to places where the there was a either a positive experiences of like, you know, a nice ghost or um, nothing like terribly tragic happened. No, like accidental deaths or that, you know, that we knew of um, try to keep it like safe. Cause I, I would never go do this in like the Amityville horror house, you know, where I know there's been a brutal murder. And then since then has been like horrible hauntings. Um, I'm just not interested in that. Uh, like what, what about like an asylum or a hospital or something of that nature where there might have been some misconduct, there might've been, uh, you know, procedures yeah. that were not normal and left people scarred. And I'm, I'm interested for sure, but I, it, it freaks me out. If I, I feel like if Zach Baggins has been there, I could probably go, you know? Okay. Cause like, yeah, that, that's why he's I would your measuring stick. He's like, he's kind of like, uh, like, okay, if he's been there, then it's, because he provokes, you know, like he's he's there to right. like rustle things up and be angry and like, you know, be like, come at me, bro. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like I could walk in with my gentle peacefulness and just be like, hi, are there any spirits? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody want to chat? Yeah, yeah. He's a ghost bouncer and you're kind of like a ghost flirt is what it is. Yeah, I'm a ghost flirt. That's what it is. <laughs> Cody calls it like he sees it. <laughs> Hunting Season was created by me, Joshua Sterling Gregg. Produced by Greg Holdsman and Jessica Richmond. And executive produced by Matt Gielen, Patrick James Lynch, and Ryan Gielen. And is a joint production of Believe Limited and Matt Gielen. This episode was written and hosted by Cody Dugan and Joshua Sterling Bragg. It was edited by Colby Crow. And select music in this episode was made exclusively for the podcast by North Innsbruck. If you like our show, please subscribe on your favorite platform. We have a video version of the show on YouTube and Facebook. Facebook and audio versions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Is that good? Oh boy. <laughs>